Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss Wuhan, a city weathered a lot with the recent COVID-19 pandemic, about its extraordinary history and its amazing present. The Chinese city that has attracted the greatest global attention in 2020 is no doubt Wuhan, capital city of central China's Hubei province. People there weathered the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak in winter and the huge Yangtze River floods in summer. As August comes to an end, life finally seems to be back to normal. On August 8, the Hubei government announced that all top-rated scenic sites in the province would offer free admission to Chinese visitors till the end of the year. The most famous site in Wuhan is probably the Yellow Cream Tower. The next day, the tower welcomed 25,000 visitors, the daily limit due to ongoing pandemic controls. Besides its spectacular view of the Yangtze River, the tower is better known for a poem by Cui Hao in the 8th century during the Tang Dynasty. However, the tower was originally built to watch out for enemies, not tourists, nearly 2,000 years ago during the Three Kingdoms period. This is proof of Wuhan's long history and important strategic position in China. Indeed, another tourist attraction, the Panlongcheng Museum, shows what life was like for people who lived in the area 3,500 years ago. You can feel Wuhan's history even before you arrive in the city. There are many transportation options to get to Wuhan today, by water, land, or air. But the best choice to feel its history is to take the old train, which goes between Beijing and Guangzhou. The line started with the construction of a railway between Beijing and Wuhan 130 years ago, at the end of China's last dynasty, the Qing. More importantly, the project was a starting point of Wuhan's industrialization. This process laid the foundation for Wuhan's growth into a major Chinese city in the following years. The best place to know the history is the Jiang Zhidong Museum. Jiang was head of Hubei and Hunan provinces during the Qing and he started the industrialization process in Hubei. The museum, designed by the New York-based studio Daniel Labeskind, is located on the site of Wuhan's first iron and steel factory built 130 years ago to provide railroad rails for the Beijing-Wuhan railway. But Zhang never expected that the city's industrialization would also underwrite the revolution that ended the dynasty he was loyal to. Located in the middle reaches of the Yangtze River, one of the cradles of Chinese civilization, the area that Wuhan is in has always had a unique cultural and strategic significance. 
Relics of large palaces and city structures built 3,500 years ago were found in Wuhan in 1954. Scholars believe the relics reflect the origins of the civilization in the region, which was the result of expansion of the civilization of the middle and the lower reaches of the Yellow River to the south of China. Then, during the Warring States period between the 5th century BCE and early 3rd century BCE, seven major kingdoms fought against each other for the power to rule China. The Chu Kingdom was the largest of them in the early and middle Warring States period. Its territory included today's Hubei province and some neighboring areas along the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers. Its development linked the two major origins of Chinese civilization in the early days that had developed along the middle and lower reaches of the Yellow and Yangtze rivers. Wuhan took shape as a city during the Three Kingdoms period in the 3rd century. A military stronghold was set up there by the Eastern Wu, one of the Three Kingdoms. Control of the central part of the Yangtze River was crucial for the security of the downstream area of the river, particularly Jianye, now known as Nanjing, which was the capital of the Eastern Wu. During the era of cold weapons, those which do not involve any form of fire or combustion, any northern region with the ambition of unifying China had to take the Yangtze River route to reach the southeastern part of the country. This was why, for thousands of years, the region that Wuhan was in was often a battlefield. At the end of the 19th century, Wuhan was an early adopter of industrialization in China. The result was the growth of Wuhan as a key city with economic and strategic significance, not only for the central part of China, but for China as a whole. The beginning and focus of the story was the construction of the Beijing-Wuhan Railway under the auspices of provincial leader Zhang Zhidong. After 1840, Qing troops were defeated by Western armies several times. In the second half of the 19th century, some Qing officials initiated a westernization movement, also known as the self-strengthening movement. They wanted to learn advanced Western technologies to make the dynasty strong again. Zhang Zhidong was one of them. At that time, Li Hongzhang, a Qing official, and the governor of Beijing and the surrounding Hebei province, planned to build a 22-kilometer railway for coal transportation in Hebei. He was strongly opposed by conservatives. He had to promise that donkeys and horses, rather than engines, would be used to pull the freight cars. The line was expanded to Tianjin later, when Li proposed expanding it further east to Tongzhou, at that time an area in the hinterland of Beijing, he encountered even stronger opposition. Zhang Zhidong saw this as an opportunity. He suggested that a new line be built in China's central area instead of in Beijing and Tianjin. His proposal was approved. At the end of 1889, 
Jiang moved to Wuhan as head of Hubei and the Hunan provinces. He immediately launched the construction of a railway between Beijing and Wuhan. This was China's first railway running from north to south. Two years later, construction of a railway to link Wuhan and Guangzhou, capital of South China's Guangdong province, also began. To provide rails for the Beijing-Wuhan railway, Zhang launched a steel and iron factory in today's Hanyang district of Wuhan in 1890. The next year, Russian crown prince Nikolai Alexandrovich, who became the last Tsar of Russia, later visited the plant under construction. He was deeply impressed by the scale of the project. The plant was put into operation in 1893. A few years later, the factory reported huge losses due to the poor management. It had to seek loans from German and Japanese banks to survive. However, the development of the iron and steel industry in Wuhan paved the way for the growth of the modern industrial system of Wuhan. Demand for transportation of coal and iron ore for iron and steel production stimulated the water and land transportation to and from Wuhan. Demand for factory workers turned many peasants into skilled workers in industrial enterprises. It not only changed their own lifestyle, but transformed Wuhan's social structure into a modern city. In addition, the wives of these workers provided labor for textile enterprises. Proponents of the westernization movement hoped that money earned by private enterprises would be a big source of investment in capital-intensive heavy and defense industries. In this context, private enterprises, particularly those focusing on textile production, boomed in Wuhan. The growth of industry and transportation boosted the growth of trade. In the first decade of the 20th century, today's Hankou district of Wuhan became the second largest port in China only following Shanghai and exceeding all big ports like Guangzhou and Tianjin in terms of trade volume. Kokichi Mizuno, the Japanese general consulate in Wuhan, described the city as the Chicago of China in his book about Hankou, published in 1908. In 1906, the construction of the 1,214-kilometer Beijing-Wuhan railway was completed. Zhang Zhidong was designated by the Qing dynasty to make sure that the railway was ready for traffic. He did this together with another senior political and military official called Yuan Shikai. Yuan was appointed later to fight against the revolutionaries who intended to topple the Qing's rule. But Yuan negotiated with the revolutionaries and became the first president of the Republic of China. However, Zhang Zhidong never expected that he would also play a role in ending the dynasty he had been loyal to all his life. The westernization movement also involves ushering in modern education and technologies. There is no doubt that Zhang made more achievements in this regard than any other proponent of the movement. Several schools he patronized in Wuhan have grown to become some of China's top universities, including 
Wuhan University, the Wuhan University of Science and Technology, and Huazhong Agricultural University. He also set up a full-fledged education system from primary to higher education in Wuhan. Modern industry, education, and technologies brought various political thoughts. For example, by the early 20th century, a school Zhang Zhidong sponsored in Wuhan became a place of higher education for liberal arts, science, and laws. Nearly 80 students there studied in Japan later. Several graduates of the school became leaders of the Qing reform movement and the revolutionary movement, which ultimately ended the Qing. Zhang Jixu, a graduate of school and a famous educator, noted in his record of Zhang Zhidong's experience in Wuhan that Zhang Zhidong sowed a bean but harvested a melon. Zhang Zhidong did what he could to defend the dynasty he held firm allegiance to. But the modernization he presided over in Hubei brought a harvest he never intended to reap. In 1907, Zhang Zhidong left Wuhan for Beijing. He died in 1909. Two years after his death, a military uprising led by officers who received the modern education nor studied abroad was initiated in today's Wuchang district of Wuhan. A provincial military government was soon set up there. Eleven provinces declared independence from the Qing immediately. The Qing asked the Yuan Shikai to deal with the uprising, but Yuan later negotiated with the revolutionaries and forced the Qing emperor to abdicate and accept a republic. Yuan wanted to be emperor himself after he assumed the presidency of the Republic of China in 1913. But Chinese people did not want an emperor or a dynasty anymore. Yuan died in 1916 amid strong political and military opposition around the country. Wuhan's strategic importance rose to an unprecedented level in its history during the following years, especially in China's wall of resistance against the Japanese aggression. After capturing Beijing at the end of July 1937, the Japanese army planned to march along the Beijing-Wuhan railway to invade Wuhan. The railway would make it easy for them to besiege Nanjing, the capital of China at that time, and control the coastal areas. The country would be carved into two parts, one in the prosperous southeast and the other in the less developed southwest at the country's final backup in the rear. The Chinese government led by the Nationalist Party saw this danger. In this case, it would be impossible for China to turn the war into a long battle in China's favor. It was expected that Japan, a country short of resources, could run out of the resources if the war continued long enough in China with its vast land and big population. The Chinese army tried to block the advancing Japanese army in Shanghai in a massive campaign August that year. A recent movie called The 800 told the story of this campaign. Its box office reached nearly 29 million US dollars on August 22, 
a global record for a single-day box office so far this year. Although the Chinese army was defeated, the Japanese army was weakened a lot and could not realize its intention of conquering China within three months. More importantly, the Japanese army had to fight against the Chinese army along the Yangtze River with its complicated water routes. After Nanjing fell at the end of 1937, the Chinese government moved to Wuhan. In June 1938, the Japanese army began to attack Wuhan. The battle lasted four months along the Yangtze River, and hundreds of thousands of lives were lost on each side, with China's losses much bigger. Japan occupied Wuhan, but was not able to advance further to the west along the Yangtze River for a long time. The Wuhan campaign was regarded as a turning point of the war, gaining time that China desperately needed to win the war. To some extent, China's fate in the war depended on Wuhan. After the People's Republic of China replaced the Republic of China in 1949, Wuhan became a municipality under the direct control of the central government and the capital city of Hubei province in 1954. Three years later, the first bridge across the Yangtze River was built and opened to traffic in Wuhan. It was on this bridge that the Beijing-Wuhan Railway met the Guangzhou-Wuhan Railway, making the Beijing-Guangzhou line. Eastern coastal areas grew much more rapidly than other areas since China's reform and opening up policy was adopted in 1978. Wuhan lagged behind Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou in economic development. To catch up, the central government formulated a strategy in 2016 to boost the growth of the central part of the country. Wuhan is the only megacity with more than 10 million people and the most industrial basis in China today. International auto brands like Volkswagen, General Motors, and Honda have production facilities there, and there are thousands of auto parts suppliers. Wuhan Aeron Steel Group is part of the China Baowu Steel Group Corporation, the world's largest steel producer. The city also has some of China's best institutions of education, technology, and healthcare. All this explains why the lockdown of Wuhan was necessary during the pandemic, and why the revival of Wuhan from the pandemic is so important to China and even to the rest of the world. That is end of our podcast this week. Thank you to our writer Dr. Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor Kathleen Nadi. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.